Welcome to the Circle of Birth podcast. I'm your host and advocate, Ali Kranz. These podcasts are here to gather stories, people and information to better our understanding of the wisdom of birth and how we can reclaim our connections to birth from conception and beyond. You will hear stories not only from Australia but from all over the world, bringing together women, partners, midwives, doulas and all the people that have a birth story to share. So jump right in for this next Circle of Birth story. Welcome so much to episode 25. Today we have Alina Tonetti and she is from Birth Into Being. And I must say this episode has taken me a while to put together. Mostly I've listened to this quite a few times. So in my own personal birth journey, I completely, completely connected with Alina and her work. Watching her movie while pregnant, uh, that, that is birth as we know it, it just blew my hormones to a new level. I was just absolutely connected and ready and found that in my own birth I intuitively tapped into the spiralling like as some sort of warrior goddess. So in this episode you will hear about Alina's own personal journey uh, in Russia as being a young activist and then meeting the great Igor Chavgosky where she was told that if we want to change the way we live on this planet we need to change the way we make people. So from here you'll hear how special Alina's story is and how our programming really plays out into our own stories. Okay. Hi, Alina. Welcome so much and thank you for joining the Circle of Birth podcast to come and share your journey into the somewhat unbelievably amazing work that you are doing worldwide. And I would just be absolutely honoured if you could share with us your journey uh, for the next hour for us. So thank you and welcome. And thank you. It's pleasure for me to have this opportunity to speak with your audience. Wonderful. About my journey, my goodness, I'm going to be 60 very soon. So the journey was very um, long. Um, when I was young, living in Russia, I was always involved with some kind of um, movement, um, trying to figure out how to make life better. And in 1982, uh, all my political activism kind of came to a halt because I stumbled into this um, amazing man, Igor Cherkovsky, who pioneered water birth. And it was kind of a, a, a meeting and bypassing, but he invested four hours into trying to explain to me how the way we're born is correlated with the low quality of life that we have and because that was my um, kind of primary uh, focus I was really listening to him what he was saying was that if we want to change the way we live on this planet we need to change the way we make people because the way we make people kind of is a setup for people not being able to have common sense and enough compassion to create um, a, a society that is based on justice. You know, uh, amazing as it sounds, um, 
there is now a huge body of research in the field of prenatal psychology that undoubtedly proves that correlation, that if a person was created in a stressful environment, then the basic settings in the nervous system are kind of uh, wired to perceive the world as uncomfortable, uh, stress-generating place. The world by itself doesn't have that stress level. It's in our perception. It's in the lenses that we acquire during the formative period when we are uh, being built from our mother's juices inside her womb, um, building our little bodies from the chemistry that the mother is providing. And if she was really stressed out, uh, if she had like not very comforting relationship with the father of the baby, if she was not uh, in the right relationships with herself, with the world, with her parents, it generates a very specific chemistry inside her body and inside her womb. So we kind of absorb it um, when we're building our limbs and our organs, and then we translate the world as a place of scarcity or um, kind of lack of safety. So uh, anybody who has access to internet can find all the research available plentifully. So when I, um, in my <laughs> younger days and 84, when I realized that there is correlation between um, our attitude towards our planet Earth and our birth. I stopped everything and dedicated most of my time and attention and energy into this part of life, helping women give birth well. So... Um, my own birth was leaving a lot to be desired for better. I was born like any other Russian person in a state institution that was inhumane. It was practicing really brutal, bizarre delivery uh, methods that women were absolutely terrified of um, to the point that women in Russia had only one child because nobody in their right mind wants to go back there. Um, the rate of abortions in my mother's generation was 23 per person on average. This is really bizarre. Gosh. Yeah, it's like jaw-dropping number. And um, it, it's for that same reason, because life was so um, strange. You know, it's like I would withdraw from negative terms, but it just was very hard. And bringing a child into that was not um, a very desirable experience because you have to actually put that child somewhere. And the apartments were so tiny that um, most of the people didn't have literally physically a place to put the child. So that... Uh, is in my mother's generation, and it was translating into my generation. I was born in the 50s in Siberia. It was, uh, you know, hard winters, and you can't really live 
are homeless, like in India or somewhere in the tropics. So we were bound to um, our living quarters. And um, all of the experiences were kind of stemming from that. Uh, on top of that, babies were taken away for five days from the mother. So the mother would see her child for the very first time five days after giving birth. What was the reasoning for that one, Elena? No, there is no reasoning for anything. <laughs> that's exactly the thing. It's just done because that's how it's done. And was Nobody a lot of this male-driven in Russia at that time? Of course, only male-driven. Women didn't have much power at all. And um, that's the life in the country, the way um, the social um, social structure was created also didn't have any logic, any reason. It just was done because that's how it was done and to the point that you don't even question any of that. So um, in 82, when Igor Cherkovsky was mentioning um, alternative ways of birthing, he was considered a madman. There was actually a lot of attempts to put him in the mental institution um, because who in their right mind would put a laboring woman in the water, right? It was a completely crazy idea. Uh, and he was running with it since 1962 when he had um, kind of semi-water birth with his daughter. I mean, his wife had it. Um I have a lot of information about it on my website, birthintobeing.com, but I am putting kind of a, a telegram style to describe the situation from which my work sprouted. I um, heard him. I realized that what he was saying, that if we create a very blurry formative period for a, a whole generation, then that generation will have a very blurry quality of life, for lack of a better word. And if we want to have some clarity in thinking, in our approach to our life force, we need to bring some clarity into the formative period. And he was um, very um, assertive in the way, stressing that it's not just limited to birth, not just about how we're born. It's all formative period, which means from the moment of conception, including the quality of conception, throughout nine months of gestation, the birth itself included, of course, but then it's also for the first few years of life until the child has a strong sense of identity, strong sense of self. That's when we stop... Um, accepting everything around us personally and start censoring what is me, what is not me. And I'm not putting any specific age on that uh, kind of, uh, not any specific number because for different people it happens at a different age. Some people uh, click in into their true identity very early in age and some people actually never do. No matter how old they get, they still live on autopilot, kind of according to some kind of external conditioning and programming. They, they never develop that true identity. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but 
technically speaking, we get a sense of self on average between ages like five and ten. You know, given the wider scope of all kinds of uh, situations, but uh, most of us within the normal settings, when we're not um, living in a life-threatening, uh, completely bizarre uh, environment, at some point when our frontal lobes start forming, by age 10, we really have a way of discerning what is me and what are uh, my likes and dislikes, what I want, who I am. So um, until then, we are like sponges absorbing all the sensory experiences from the environment and um, adopting it as a norm, as our own experiences. So for example, as our, if our parents are in conflict, we're accepting conflict as norm as our interpretation of love, because we're always expecting a notion of love when we arrive to this planet. It's our natural state. So whatever we experience becomes our understanding of love. So it's almost like in in utero we're in a state of hypnosis or absorbing all the mother's um, environment. The baby comes out and... It continues in that state, the sponge-like hypnotic state, until it's exactly. about seven or ten. It's, it it yeah. would be like basic settings in the nervous system when stress is considered the norm. And it's a very difficult groove to go against because later in life we might start want to uh, work with it, understand it. But those basic settings set up before we developed cortex, the part of the brain that is responsible for understanding. So no matter how much we understand why it is that way, uh, it's not going to change the, the, the basic settings. They are established in the limbic part of the brain, in the reptilian part of the brain. Limbic is our emotional center, and reptilian brain is the center governing our physiology. So if we have those basic settings in our physiology and in our emotional center, uh, we can't really think our way out of those basic settings. That's the trick. It can explain to us why we are um, full of anxiety and, and, and phobias, but it's not going to help us change it. It's really um, a, a thing that I wish more people would understand because talking about things rarely can help um, free the person from that anxiety. So in order to give birth well, we need to go back into um, connecting with that part of our being uh, that is purely physiological and purely emotional, also almost bypassing the cognitive part of the, um, uh, of the expressing our creativity. So in order to really shift the dynamic, we need to move the energy in the body. So this is where um, I came to the understanding 
uh, of what's effective in healing our birth trauma and neutralizing the way it's impacting us. Um, it, it was through the understanding that unless we work with raw emotions and physiology, then we remain symptomatic. But only working with emotions and physiology was also not very effective because our thinking part is a huge part of our expression of life, right? So you can't really disown it. You can't let it lead the, 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 the process, but you can't leave it outside entirely, completely too. So what the effectiveness of any healing modality is when you activate evenly at the same time all three parts of the brain, the cortex, the limbic, and the reptilian brain responsible for mental, emotional, and physiological part. So that's um, what I love doing and, uh, and keep bringing to, to people who come um, to my classes. So it's almost like tapping into that creativity part of your brain and especially if you were pregnant coming into birth, that's the part of the brain that needs to... Um, engage with the reptilian or the primal um, side of your your being and exactly. if we're thinking in the system model or the subconscious model um, then we're engaging in like fight or flight and we're not allowing ourselves to shift that energy is that similar to um, well, it uh, expresses itself differently with different people. For example, if uh, a woman cannot get pregnant, sometimes it's the cortex that is holding her back from getting pregnant because, um, because she would uh, be ripe and ready, but her cortex is thinking that, well, I need to first find the, you know, finish the university, find the right man, and uh, I am just um, not in the right place, you know. And her her cognitive part could be really sabotaging um, conception, or sometimes reptilian part that is still in shock from her birth trauma, from her own experience of being born and with her heart with her emotions she would be craving to have a baby longing to have um you know to become a mother uh, with you know being in love with somebody she just wants it but her reptilian brain might be completely uh, terrified by this idea and refusing to um fertilize the egg because basically giving birth is a reptilian function you know sometimes women in a coma uh, can get pregnant and even gestate the baby full term when the cortex is completely out and it's only physiology the reptilian brain is functioning so getting pregnant is um, is not possible if the body is still um, in shock from the woman's own birth. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, and we have so much of it these days. Um, 
in the United States, it's 32% infertility right now mm. in the appropriate age category. Uh, and what I see that when women neutralize their own birth trauma, they're able to conceive naturally without even any intervention because you just need to make peace with the body that will will be in charge of doing the doing during pregnancy. Essentially, we've just become very subconscious thinkers and then when we're governed by systems that, uh, you know, tell us how to birth or how to run our bodies, in a sense that we're clogging up those channels, aren't we, for humanity where the healing is taking so long to accomplish and we really need to clear those channels so that we can tap into that creativity mind that primal mind well exactly and creativity can also be um, expressed from different parts of us of us either we're expressing creativity from that uh, stifled contracted place or we're expressing creativity from aligned harmonious a place of you know unity and connection with the source of all life these are completely different products of our creativity mm. and uh, they resonate with people on a different level so um, creativity by itself is very good but what what is it actually delivering into our mass mentality that's a whole other peace and in order for us to allow that creative flow be um, full and um, and uh, generously generously transmitting the amazing joy of life and our capacity to love we actually need to be able to tap into that capacity because uh to love is exactly that. There is either capacity to love or the absence of that capacity, which forms during those early days and years of our life. And this is basically why um, we see so little of it. The true ability to love fearlessly um, in that primal mode of connection with the universe you know that kind of love not just falling in love with somebody which is sometimes the opposite of being able to love because it comes from um, hormones comes from this hunger (laughs) right desire it's like falling in love is I, I I have this life force that needs to run over something. <laughs> Give me something. It, it comes from hunger, really. And love in this uh, sense of unconditional love is coming from a desire to to feed in that analogy. Not to eat, but to feed somebody else. Mm. You know, it's really kind of um, different frequencies Um, and that ability to experience love with a capital letter to 
to really open and surrender and trust and not even having to be attached to to love what there it's not uh, an objectified uh, state of being it's completely um, completely uh, universal it's just the ability to love everything around you and from that place the oxytocin flows you can give birth you can conceive you can not conceive if you decide that that's not what you want to do with your life and and your babies will be your books your gardens your um, community your uh, you know your life as a masterpiece it doesn't have to be motherhood sometimes creativity wants to take a different form and motherhood is the opposite of that you know we are all very different it's not necessarily that a woman has to have a child a woman is also a person that can have any form of expression of her life force but she also has the ability to give birth to a baby so um but that choice needs to be made from that place of alignment with her true identity not from just going on autopilot you know it's my biological clock ticking i have to have a child now so it's it's um it's a big source of complications during pregnancy when a woman is having a baby not really um not really connecting with the soul of this baby on this deep deep um pre-incarnational spiritual level so the, but this is of course you know uh, um if you look at the bigger picture we need to first come to a place of being able to look at the bigger picture uh which how do we do that if we're not taught in schools if our mothers did not role model it to us if nobody is talking about it how do we come to that place of conscious conception if we don't even know that we can be conscious in the first place right but then what else do we have to do we have to start somewhere so just one foot in front of the other no matter where we start whether we start um this journey to self realization um, early in life or at the last uh, trimester of pregnancy or when our children are already having their own children it's better late than never and from my understanding working with thousands of people all over the world there is no such thing as too late we can start wherever we are right now no matter what happened before because we are not what happened to us this is the kind of the fork in the road where we can choose uh, identifying ourselves continuing to identify ourselves with our original um, limbic imprint during our formative period with all the trauma that it accumulated with all the hardships and heartbreaks that we experience as or we can kind of take a deep breath and say okay this has all happened okay this is this is my history but 
I am not what happened to me. I am. There is a me to whom the soul was happening. And that me is so much bigger than any of that. And from that place, I can make a decision whether I am continuing with this conditioned kind of identity or I choose to to really make space for my intimate connection with the source from which I came and with that impulse of my spirit to embody and walk the earth at this time on this planet and recover the memory of what followed that impulse, like what created that impulse in the first place. Why did I answer the call of this planet at this time? From everything we know about creating the body is that there shouldn't be any bodies on this planet because it's such a complex process. It's such an unlikely um, event. It's a very complex chain of events, creation of the body, that are absolutely cannot happen randomly by just electrons bumping into each other. You know, the fact that you were conceived and born and still alive to, to have this conversation, it means that there was an incredible guidance of your soul and your spirit in order for you to be able to, to, to stay alive all this time. And we need to tap into that impulse of the soul and the spirit to, to, to be on this planet. And when we connect with that bigger picture of what brought us to this earth, then all of a sudden, all the limitations caused by the trauma experienced during, um, you know, our beginning of life, it just kind of takes its place. It becomes much smaller. It it doesn't have the dominant um, driving power to to create and call circumstances in our life. We just stay focused on the bigger picture and how we fit together with all the other beautiful souls and spirits that came here to this earth to make it a better place because there is no other calling that we would answer. It's really interesting. I'm just reflecting, like listening to your words in my own personal journey of becoming aware and healing and I know that there's so much more that I need to learn and listen and especially since doing these podcasts I've transformed hugely and just feeling of me that person back when the the fog lifted and the haze started coming away and I started becoming more self-aware I found that consciousness was coming to me in all forms I was conscious of the food I was looking at that was going into my mouth the water that I was drinking and the growth into that consciousness uh, was just completely not linear or limited to time or space. It was uh, just like you were saying, that universal concept of love 
was coming to me. And tapping into that from moment to moment, it, it's, it's, just, it's just that. It's universal. It's love and it's love in its wholeness. And I find now that I've come to a, a space with, with the healing and the awareness where the consciousness of, you know, a day-to-day thing like putting something into your mouth um, has slowed down a lot for me that when prior I was living in this sort of suppression, this haze, this fog um, and feeling that now that I'm understanding that the universe is sort of providing this right time and space for me to do things that I need to and not having that feeling of I have to get everything done now and um, it's too late and etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> well exactly exactly the edge uh, leaves you know that living on the edge yeah, yeah, expense yeah. of high stress it just melts away because you just all of a sudden relax into being who you are that's exactly what the flood of oxytocin feels like when you are in in this harmonious awareness that you're in the right place at the right time that everything is unfolding perfectly even though it doesn't look like it it doesn't feel like it sometimes but the more you drop into that space of surrender and acceptance you get bigger and you get more and more spacious and you see the bigger picture and how all the bits and pieces and all the people in your life how they all fit together and some of them are here to support you and and love you up and uh, lift you up and some of the people are there to mirror different bits and pieces where you are still contracted and where you are still um, full of uh, anxieties. Um, I, I'm not saying anything new. Uh, you know, you, you probably heard the words, but one thing is to hear the words and another thing is to actually get that feeling, aha, now I understand what the words mean. Yeah, It's, uh, it's uh, a, a difference between looking the picture of tropical island uh, uh, on the fat photograph or being on that tropical <laughs> island. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Alina, can we talk a little, uh, I know in my personal birth journeys uh, recently, well, one year ago, uh, watching birth as we know it and becoming completely absorbed into your work. And um, from that, in my birth experience, I really resonated with the spiralling and uh, my learnings of sacred geometry. And it was just absolutely mind-blowing during my birth and it fitted so well. Um, but one thing I'm really interested in, if you'd like to talk about briefly, is the project that you undertook um, with the birth camps how how did you even begin that, um, considering the uh, issues that Russia was facing at the time uh, with expressing these sort of methods? And how did you come into that journey? And if you could talk a bit about it, that would be wonderful. Uh, the thing about um, the mess Russia was in, there were no rules against it. You know, there was no restrictions and no license required. So we were free to do whatever we wanted to do um, because there was no prohibiting 
laws. When I moved to America in 1989 and wanted to continue doing what I was doing in Russia, I ran into all kinds of limitations because I was told that I would instantly find myself in jail if I tried to do something like that in America. And in Russia, because it was not part of the description of the um, world, there was no rules against that. So when we realized that we need to go to the Black Sea to take pregnant women there, just because we were learning to meditate at that time, um, heard of such thing, you know, it was all new, it was late 70s, early 80s in Russia, all the information about um, Western traditions was just seeping through. And uh, we thought that trying to meditate was a good idea. And somehow pregnant women had a really easy access to really deep meditations. Uh, Igor was explaining that it was due to their bodies being in such um, kind of lucid states, you know, the body of the pregnant woman is um, really the the most flexible, resilient um, physical form because all the systems are in the process of con constant rearranging of itself. So um, a pregnant woman is able to accomplish enormous heights of spiritual um, experiences during pregnancy because all her hormonal landscape and her physiology are so uh, receptive to the impulses and desires and kind of her guidance. So when this uh, pregnant women were going into deep states of meditation, they were coming back with the same stories that they were seeing uh, dolphins swimming around them in this kind of etheric um, plane that somehow the human babies were somehow telepathically connected with, uh, with the, that species of dolphins. And you have to understand, if you're living on the coast in Australia, dolphins are part of the description of the world, right? Dolphins are everywhere. There's symbols, jewelry, pictures. It's part of your reality. In Moscow, in deep winter, in the 80s, dolphins were not on the radar. It was just, you know, another kind of fish. And they were treated that way by... Russian fisheries, they were not considered uh, anything other than fish. And all of a sudden, seeing dolphins and having this consistent um, description from so many women was catching attentions, like, why dolphins? Why would, why would pregnant women, all without talking to each other, <laughs> describe that they are seeing dolphins? So um, when there was enough of that at some point, there was an obvious next kind of, let's go try going to the Black Sea when it's summer and see if we can increase the quality of meditations if we would be 
uh, in the close physical proximity to dolphins. So that's basically how the first idea of the birth camp um, arrived out of this um, out of this noticing the pattern shared by so many pregnant women. It was just pure curiosity and why not? Why not go to the water in the summer? So the first expedition was uh, arranged and there were so many miracles happening in, the, in, in that year. And then the next year, the next, it was just, there was no way of stopping it. Well, there was because it was stopped finally. There was a, a, a really big oil spill in, in that lagoon where all the birth camps were, but also perestroika started, um, the economy fell apart, the whole world fell apart basically in Russia. So it's, you know, when you have a, a war at your doorstep, you don't really think about uh, remodeling the house, right? You just are on survival level. You're just trying to 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 stay alive. So so 90s were very very difficult in Russia, and um, it kind of died out. And by then, in the 2000 in this millennia, then Russia caught up with all the rules, regulations, and licenses and completely prohibited home birth, water birth, um, it's like none of that can happen. So we had this uh, a short window of opportunity in uh, um, second half of the 80s. Uh, well, we started talking about birth camps in 82, but the first camp actually happened in 86. It took a while for us to to organize it and get it all together. So the first baby was born in the Black Sea in '86, and um, the last one, the last camp was in '92. So it wasn't a very long story, and also <laughs> um, we didn't have a camera for a long time. So the footage that you see in the movie is only because there was um, a foreign midwife that came to study with us uh, and left the camera behind. When she was leaving, she uh, took the tapes and left the camera. So uh, until then, we didn't even know anybody who would have a camera. We didn't have any like, uh, evidence, any any images of all the births that were, were happening, and which is really a great loss. Um, but what you see in birth as we know it, it's basically um, all that we had from all the years of, um, of working together and hundreds and hundreds of babies born that way. But again, we didn't have computers, we didn't have um, kind of organized system of counting um, what was happening, how it was happening. So we don't even know how many babies were born that way. When I was working on the film, uh, we put our heads together. You know, I'm still friends with all of those uh, midwives that were there at the Black Sea. And we had a little um, brainstorming party trying to figure out how many babies were born unsuccessfully because all the years kind of blurred together and 
Also, it was in a few lagoons, and we couldn't really remember which baby was accounted for and not accounted for. It's it just um, impossible to tell right now because we were so really involved and kind of high on doing what we were doing. Nobody thought about keeping track or doing some kind of um, office work, you know, some kind of equivalent of <laughs> office work. It just didn't exist at so that time. Were you in the camp off and on for that whole six-year period? Well, yeah, um, I, I was. Um, some of the camps, I was even the one who chose the location and, because it was in different places every year. And, um, yeah, I was basically there from end of May to beginning or mid-September, depending on the weather. Uh, and um, it was beautiful. Life in those camps was just so amazing. If you heard of Burning Man... It was kind of that plus births. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it it was fantastic. How how did do you know of any of the children now that were born in the camps? They would well, be probably in their yeah. late twenties or thirties, I suppose. Um, well, starting in eighty six, yeah, um, and uh, a lot of them, I'm staying connected with uh, like Tatiana Sargunas the midwife in my movie with a bandana on her hand that gives birth alone in those in that plastic plexiglass yeah. oh my goodness she was just amazing and I know that everyone I've spoken to that have watched birth into being have all commented on her zen like birthing it was just unbelievable to see that yeah yeah so all her four children had babies now, and they all gave birth amazingly well, fast, easy. Um, you know, she was actually at all four births, and they're just beautiful, incredible, creative, healthy people. And, um, yeah, it, it's just beautiful, you know. Yeah. It, it is all visible. Sometimes doctors are asking me, how do you know it's beneficial? Oh, well, I just say, look at them. <laughs> just look at them. Yeah, exactly. By looking at them, you can see that they're just so bright and so vibrant. And, and it's not like they don't have any problems in life. They live in Russia, you know. That means that... Every area of life is full of problems. But not only in Russia. It's just life is life. We are not free from life's challenges. But the way we meet those challenges, the way we are able to navigate, uh, the way we run our energy uh, while we are living our life, you know, that's, that's um, a big difference. But also... In the hierarchy of challenges, there are um, also challenges that are inspiring and creative and propelling you in your personal spiritual evolution. And there are challenges that are just challenges, hardships that don't really um, inspire you to 
search um, higher grounds, you know. So looking into your personal journey going upon your birth, I'm just reading here in your bio on your website that you were in the US when you became pregnant and then from then on this is where you've built up or and created birth into being then birth as we know it. Um, yeah, well, uh, actually, I was already pregnant when I came to California for what I thought would be a short visit. Um, I had my ticket back. I was, you know, I was just coming to visit, uh, being pregnant. Uh, but five days after I landed in America, the whole Eastern Bloc collapsed. The whole part of the Soviet-affected <laughs> countries kind of exploded and and the Berlin Wall fell and life as I knew it completely collapsed. And it was very intense and difficult times. Um, when I called back, my mother was begging me not to come back. And... Here I was in this cosmic irony situation, you know, going through everything I'm teaching women not to do while pregnant, not, not, to, <laughs> not to be alone, not to be in, uh, in um, you know, completely torn out of everything they know. And I was America. I, I was in America completely um, hanging in in limbo. I didn't speak English. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have a place to live. I um, My visa expired right away. And my mother was screaming on the phone, they're going to start civil war any minute now. Don't come home. Stay there. And kind of, you know, I was crying every day because I was hearing reports that my friends were at the Red Square stopping the tanks with their bodies. I don't know if you know any of this, if you um, had it in your uh, news. Um, it, it was really intense. And it started, the whole mess started literally a few days after I left the country. It's... Um, it's, is this what they coined the Iron Curtain? Is that right? Yeah. 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 So the, the, the Iron Curtain collapsed, exploded, and everything kind of was buried under the rebels, under the, the debris. And for the next 10 years, it was really extreme civil war in Russia that was not reported on the media. It was basically the war of mafias and we we lost a big percent of the male population um, because you know when there is no police no army no ruling class basically nobody knew who was in charge who was not in charge um, the country fell apart and um, it was taking toll on people. It was not a safe place to go back. I understood that, even though I was completely heartbroken. And, and uh, But also, the father of my daughter was killed, and um, but not before he, he separated with me. 
So he he didn't want a baby. It turned out that I was completely on my own, without any support, without any village to raise the child, without um, even a place to live. English too would have been a bit of a struggle. Yeah, I did speak English. So um, I am actually in the process of writing my autobiography and that would be definitely one of the very interesting chapters, how I survived in America pregnant on zero budget, (laughs) (laughs) zero zero language. It's kind of a social experiment. Um, But now looking back, I see the absolute perfection of that. Yeah. And everything played into inspiring me to do this work. And it's a very big story. I I can't even, you know, outline (laughs) the beginning of it in the format of the interview. But to make a long story short, um, in order for me to... Um, kind of legalize my child I walked into the hospital and uh, and when a baby is born in the hospital in America they automatically give the child well gave in those days a um, birth certificate that made her an American citizen so then I was at least um, you know a mother of American citizen I had some kind of legal grounds because my visa expired pretty immediately and um, and uh, having the world collapsed behind my back I didn't even have anything to go back to and and um, it was a very difficult situation when I think about everything I went through I truly don't even know how I survived <laughs> it was like how, how do you survive in one piece and not only I was completely unharmed the whole time um, I didn't skip too many meals there were, of course there were days when I was completely hungry but um, but I was always safe It's I was just making friends as I went and people were opening their hearts, their homes, um, to me. And um, it's just I kept manifesting bigger and bigger circle of friends and and support system. And uh, that's truly reflective of you know the births that we have teach us the lessons that we need in life and. It seems your work now can come from such a, a place of experience. Yeah, yeah. So I gave birth in the hospital vaginally, even though they were trying to uh, do a C-section. The moment I walked in the emergency room, they tried to prepare me for C-section, and, and I had to find fight <laughs> my ground, yeah. not be sent into the operation room uh, they couldn't even understand why I was uh, resisting it 
Um, but, um, you know, with having to fight with the head nurse, I completely closed my, uh, my cervix and kind of the stress level. I had to start over again, even though I was pretty open by the time I walked in. So it was difficult birth, but I ended up giving birth vaginally. And, um, and uh, again, it's it's a long story, yeah. but to bring out the um, topic of uh, limbic imprint, you see, when we're living before we neutralize our original limbic imprint, we kind of have tendency to replicate the circumstances of our arrival to this planet in our own life. For example, if uh, say a man was drinking a lot when the mother was pregnant. Then the if it's a baby girl, then she would have a tendency to be attracted to men who like to drink. It's kind of works directly almost. So with my story, while I was organizing all this water birth movement in Russia, I actually never went through the training myself. I was kind of the person behind the scenes and making sure that everything is happening for pregnant women. But I was not pregnant myself to go through that program. I, uh, I got <laughs> transported to America in very early in my pregnancy. So, so I played out my situation of gestation that my mother went through because when um, she was pregnant with me, uh, they lived with my grandma. And when my grandma found out that they were pregnant, she kicked them out. Exactly in the beginning of pregnancy, it's like wow. two months. Yeah. So, so I completely replicated loss of um, home. At the same time in pregnancy as she had that experience, mm. and um, and then I can go on and on how um, the story of my formative period was playing out in my life. So I am not speaking it by reading some books on prenatal psychology. I lived every step of it, and. My work is now the result of my efforts and constant research and noticing the patterns, what's effective, what's not affecting. It's my flight for freedom. It's my desire to free myself from this hypnosis, from this um, imposed conditioning that is not part of who I truly am. It's my healing of my birth trauma that guided me every step and then I was just paying attention and, and learning how to transfer what worked for me into um, some processes and exercising for other people that they would have the same effect. So it's kind of my other baby <laughs> is this birth into being method yeah. that I'm crafting uh, diligently since 82. Wow. Uh, I, I just reflecting on my own journey again, when you were saying that, I feel too that the more I expose my journey and the more awareness becomes, the more I transform and the, the more I do, 
you know, aligning with these podcasts with what I'm doing, it seems like they're transforming my journey and my healing and this is all just from experience and I completely resonate with experience. I feel that that is it. The experience creates our lives and it 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 it, it finds that pathway to that universal love uh, from experience. We have these journeys to learn. Just looking, are you still running courses, facilitator training? How's that working out? Um, I was running, the last few years, I was running only one course per year in Germany. Um, it was a um, very big group every time. Um, and it works much better with um, with my schedule just to do it um, once. My next course is in two years, in August of 2018, also in the same place in Germany. Um, but in the meantime, I've trained so many beautiful people, talented facilitators to do this work. And they're offering it now in 22 countries in all major languages. So um, I I am very happily allowing myself to take a break to write four of my books that I started 15 years ago and never had a chance to finish because I was at least 10, 12 countries per year offering my trainings for years and years and years since 2004. But that did not allow me to um, put the books together. So now I uh, really um, put a lot of effort into clearing uh, my time until August of 2018 and see how many books I will um, be able to finish <laughs> by then. Great. I look forward to it. I, and just in terms of Australia, uh, you've trained Nicole Moore, who I've just recently done a, a beautiful story with. Is there any other people in Australia? that? Uh, yes, Melissa um, Schultz. Yeah, that's right, Melissa, yes. And Kearns. Both of them are fabulous facilitators, amazing, beautiful women. Um, I am deeply honored that they chose to study with me and took the torch and now um, are available for even private one-on-one -on -one Skype sessions if somebody is not able to travel to the workshop. But uh, we also have... Uh, quite a few facilitators who are available for um, private Skype sessions. Beautiful. So, um, yeah, they're all listed on my website um, and all the workshops that are current, upcoming pretty soon, are also listed on the website. And that's birthintobeing.com and downloadable uh, DVDs and resources too, which is fantastic. Yes, there's lots of interviews, audio, video, on the site, it's quite extensive. Lots of articles, photographs, and, and I'm very happy with the site. <laughs> and some beautiful dolphins on the front page, which I love. <laughs> yeah, we don't go anywhere without our dolphins. Yeah. And uh, just to end it off, what would you say, or how would what would you feel you'd like to say, and especially to someone that's pregnant with their first baby and is not really sure that 
where they want to go with it or they've got a feeling and they're exploring their options, what would you say, especially to those first-time mamas? Yeah, it, for pregnant women, uh, there is just the biggest thing I can say is connect with your baby. Listen to your baby. Find a way of tuning in and really finding a way of kind of open line communication because even though the body's um, still forming and is very small, the soul and the spirit are already in there and they're fully available for you to connect with them. And it's an incredibly enriching, rewarding, um, guiding experience. And that baby will help you to help you decide what kind of birth they need, what um, what kind of food they want you to eat in order to for their optimal health. They are completely able and willing to communicate and support you. And there is so much learning that um, can happen for any pregnant woman if she's in... in direct connection with that place from which the baby is coming from because they're kind of in both worlds right now and from where they are they have a much bigger picture that they would be absolutely delighted to deliver to you yeah and another piece of advice for pregnant women do your research don't just trust what whatever somebody says do your research there is enough information out there to really um, allow yourself to find something that you will deeply resonate. I was never promoting water birth, even though I was that was my original focus, and that's how I came into this work. But ever since um, I saw the bigger picture, I realized that water birth is really great, but only for those women who resonate with that element. Because other women resonate with different elements, maybe with fire or earth, and maybe they want to have natural birth, but somewhere, you know, not in water, maybe in the forest or in the bedroom or, or it doesn't matter where. What matters is how much consciousness they're bringing into the process of making that child from the moment of conception you know, how they want to conceive and how they want to uh, deliver to this baby that sense of safety and nurture and welcoming and and that this world is the right place for them to be. This is the main message that the mother can deliver to the baby. So the baby's body can, um, can really build itself properly when everything will unfold perfectly at the right time to its ripeness because when the mother goes into stress mode the building of the baby's body go on hold there is a pause in that process every time the mother stresses out it, it just again I, I keep going back to that connection within and that consciousness and once we tap into that then doing our research we can look at things as a whole and not single out this water birth versus you know hospital birth or uh, this versus this it becomes a 
an approach where you feel guided by your intent and your baby's intent and uh, looking at looking at it like that it's a beautiful path without feeling fear or you're doing the wrong thing and tapping into those stress hormones again yeah exactly and if some part of you is really scared of birth giving birth and you don't really have a way of finding the way of uh, retraining your nervous system and uh, and completing that task of um, preparing for natural birth yourself, uh, home birth, then it's totally fine. If you feel more relaxed with the idea that you can just go and have C-section, then stay with that. You know, I'm not saying C-section is bad. I'm saying that if a woman is feeling terrified of birth, it is a much safer way to for her to have C-section. Because if yeah. she's really terrified and feeling this peer pressure to have a home birth, then it, it's a setup. She's bound to have complications. There is no expert out there that knows this baby's agenda. You know, this is the main thing that when we talk about birth, we kind of forget to, that there is also another big player in that game. It's the baby. And there is no such thing as accidents at birth. From everything I know, I can say it with my full, you know, um, authority. Birth and death, there are no accidents. We're born exactly the way our soul's agenda requires. Yes. And I feel I have spoken to a few previous people in the podcast that have said the exact same thing and just in a different light. Um, we have the births that we need to have and um, it's it's all preconceived in a, in a sense. Like you said, nothing's an accident or coincidence. Yeah, because the mother doesn't really have a way of knowing um, what lessons are here to be learned by her baby. You know, what what what's on what's what's their soul desires, right? So uh, we can only make choices that feel right for us, but when we are connected with the baby, we can again, see the bigger picture and make choices from that surrender and allowance to participate in that bigger picture. Do, just just while we, before we finish up, one more question. We were talking about water and in California where you're residing at the moment. And did you... Do you know much into conscious water and uh, or the term living water? Do you have a connection with water still in your life? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, most of my most valuable pieces, uh, uh, ideas and best things I ever thought of came when I'm in water, like taking a bath or swimming in the ocean. And and I had uh, amazing insights and spiritual experiences when I'm um, immersed in the water. I feel the water like a living consciousness, like a, a, a living being. Mm. 
Yeah, there it's is a strong connection with it. Yeah, it's amazing uh, the the sort of imprint that the water can carry through us, and uh, I feel like it has such a strong force in our clearing and our channeling and our flowing, uh, and into you know into the into the beings that we are and our learnings from the water's imprint and the consciousness. It's such a I found that very powerful in my life too, and very aware of water now. <laughs> we are 60, 70, 80% water, depending on our age. The, the older we get, the drier we get. Yeah, yeah. That, Actually, yeah. there is a concept that that's why we get older, because we kind of dry up. Dry up. Right. Yeah. So um, if we have um, certain water saturation, the body is much easier to, to rejuvenate and restore and mend itself and just the juicier we are the healthier we are so the that water is the most of us you know it, it's the bigger part of us just water yeah. um, how can we not connect with it Thank you so much, Alina. Um, I just appreciate it again. And thank you for coming on the show. And I hope that uh, a lot of people will resonate with a lot of your work and uh, we can make some connections here in Australia. Any any plans to come back to Australia to say um, hello? or uh, Not anytime soon. Yeah. I know that in 2018 I'm going to Europe and then maybe after that it start planning Australia but um, at this point I don't have it on my schedule unfortunately I love Australia I love New Zealand I I used to go there every year for like five years I was there spending winters there and teaching workshops on different parts of Australia in Perth and Brisbane and Melbourne and Sydney um, Melbourne was kind of the most of most of it but um, at this point, I don't have it on my schedule. Um, Hopefully one day we might see you here writing some chapters of your book in a, I would in a lush that. forest somewhere. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Alina. Um, thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity to connect with people that probably I wouldn't connect any other way. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome. Did you connect with this episode? Then head over to our website, circleofbirth.com. There you'll find show notes, pictures, resources, and potentially connect with today's storyteller. Don't forget to sign up to be updated with new empowering episodes and content. Help the show grow by contributing a tip in the jar to make sure we can continue to better the podcast and connect more and more to the wisdom of birth and each other. Hey, and don't forget the iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we empower. Thank you.